to Six Cool Stories. My name is Jenna Levine Liu, and I am the founder of Six Cool Moms, a national social network for fun moms. In my line of work, I meet a lot of very interesting people with a breadth of knowledge and experiences. So I decided, why not ask them to be on this podcast and find real people with real cool stories? I hope that you enjoy my friends as much as I have enjoyed introducing you to them. Hi, friends. Good morning, good afternoon, or depending when you're listening, good evening. Welcome to Six Cool Stories, the podcast about real people with real cool stories. My name is Jenna Levine Liu. I am the founder of Six Cool Moms, and I will be your host for the next hour as we talk to Petra Smeltzer, who is our first guest and somebody who I think has a really cool story. So I met Petra in December of 2020 at the Flying Buddha Ariel Studio in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Petra is an avid Ariel yogi. I live there. (laughs) She pretty much lives there. But as I got closer with Petra and got to hear a little bit more about her stories, I heard about her struggles with addiction. But there was one particular story that Petra had that is something that is both interesting, amusing, and what I would call a very cool life story. So without further ado, we're going to get started. So hi, Petra. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) My pleasure. All right, Petra, why don't we just start at the beginning? Just give us a little brief history of where you grew up. um, What led you to the point in your life where you checked yourself into a institution to try to grab drugs? Well, um, I grew up in Germany. My father was in the military. My mother was German. So I had you know, this bicultural, bilingual upbringing. Uh, we moved around a little bit. And I ended up in Washington, D.C., where I attended college. Um, Where'd you go? Trinity College. And at the time, it was all women and uh, Catholic, small. And you would not believe how many people did drugs there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess at an all-girls Catholic school, people are a little bored, needing to get stuff going. So is that how you started? You know, my mother died right before I uh, started college. So I think that that's when my addiction really began. And I didn't see it as an addiction. It was just a release, having fun, letting go, and not feeling so stifled. I understand. So where did you start? What was your age and was it, you know, marijuana, alcohol? What was your first sort of gateway into addiction? You know, cigarettes and alcohol. Cigarettes and alcohol. And I should have known that I was an alcoholic because the, the minute I started drinking, I would not be able to stop. <laughs> How old were you? I, the first time I really got terribly drunk, I was 16. Okay. And how long have you been sober for now? 15 years. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. That's a good chunk of time. All right. Now, right to the fun story. It wasn't fun at the time, I'm sure, but upon reflection, tell us about the events that led up to you checking yourself in and then what it was like being. Well, you know, when you drink a lot of alcohol, you tend to be very depressed and you don't realize it. And you reach for alcohol to drown that depression. And I was in a terrible relationship. It was, you know, really um, emotionally abusive, in my opinion. And um, Was he an addict as well? No. Okay. But I found myself in these cycles all the time. And we had broken up 
for maybe the fifth time in a row, but this time it felt real. And I was so sad. And I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking to the point where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't go on. I just wanted to take away the pain. You know, death sounded pretty good to me, but I wasn't really strong enough to even think about suicide. But I wanted to be numbed. And I was on the phone with a friend of mine. His name is Scott. And he worked in the healthcare. Uh, he worked in the health insurance side of things as an executive. And um, we were just talking about how despondent I felt and that I really wanted to check myself into a mental ward if I could. And he said, well, you know, they give you stabilizing drugs when you check yourself in. I said, what? Stabilizing drugs? <laughs> and that was all I needed to hear. I called our... Wait, wait, what did you think a stabilizing drug was? I thought I would float I thought I would be hooked up to an IV and I would end up just numbing my brain, my entire body, and I would float away for three days. And that's what I needed. I needed just to I mean, feel it kinda, nothing. Yeah, it does kind of sound nice. It I mean, I was seduced by that thought. <laughs> and I called our employee assistance hotline and spoke to the the psychiatrist that they had on hand and said, I wanted to check myself in to a psych ward and how can I go about doing this? And um, I needed a week off from work to do this. You know, I needed to float away for a week. I really, I was... What were you doing at that time for work? I worked at the American Petroleum Institute and I was a, a state government relations lobbyist. Were you drunk at work during those days or did you were you sober at work and then it was just the evenings? Well... Back in those days, when you work in government relations, you drank a lot. <laughs> so, no, I was, not, I was not drunk at work per se unless you went to lunch. And then you had a few wines, but, you know, that was, that was allowed. Yeah. And then uh, receptions after work, that was allowed. And dinners and drinking. Drinking was part of the job. It was, like, you know, a requirement almost what in my mind. This? This was 1997. Okay. Different time. Different, different time. <laughs> different time. Yes. Well, and so I was seduced by this thought. And, um, you know, the psychiatrist, you know, called my boss and said that I needed a week off. Um, I was you know, going, undergoing a crisis. And I called up a girlfriend of mine who was in med school at the time. And she drove me to Dominion um, Hospital, uh, where I planned to check myself in. Now, I did not realize how hard it was going to be to check myself in, but I was hell-bent to get it done. <laughs> I wanted that IV hookup. So um, I, you know, sit there w with the interview and the intake process. And So you didn't call them before, you just showed up? I just showed up. What made you pick Dominion? Somebody else I knew had already done that. Okay, understood. <laughs> but... They didn't tell me anything else. They, they, I just knew that they went there. They didn't say that they got the hookup. They just said that they went there. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I went there, and uh, with the intake process, I, I talked to my insurance company, and my insurance company wanted me to be outpatient. Please be outpatient. And I said, no, no, I have to be inpatient. Why? Are you going to hurt yourself? And I was like, yes, yes, if that's what gets me in, I will say that I'm going to hurt myself. And I said everything that I needed to say to get myself in there. And then so just like you would imagine, you know, if you ever saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest, they take everything away from you. 
all of your sharps. They take away anything that you could use to hurt yourself. I didn't care. I just wanted to get into the dressing gown. I just wanted to be You're like, give me the IV. Yeah, exactly. So I get in um, and I am in my room. I have a single and I'm thinking this is fabulous. (laughs) This is going to be good. I can't wait. And then a nurse comes to the door. And uh, she comes in, and she's carrying something. And she asks me how I'm doing, and I said, I'm fine. And then I look at her, and I say, so where's the IV, the IV drip? And she said, what IV drip? And I said, you know, the stabilizing IV drip that you're going to give me to calm me down? She said, oh, honey, no, 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 no. I'm here to give you this. And she hands me a notebook and a pen. She goes, I want you to journal your feelings. And I am hit. My, I, I feel like I was just slapped in the face. I am so stunned. And I said, what do you mean? Journal my feelings? Are you sober at this point? Like, did you show up sober? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I think I might have, I, I think I may have still been under the influence. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I drank up until the time I was picked up. Okay. Um, and she said, and then, later tonight, I want you to go to an AA meeting. And I said, AA? Why? She said, well, honey, you you said you drink three cans of beer every night? And I'm thinking to myself, I lied about that. I drink a bottle of wine and chase it with six bottles of beer a night. (laughs) And I'm thinking, if she thinks I'm an alcoholic with three cans of beer a day, She's crazy. No way. I'm not an alcoholic. I never thought I was. Because I held down a job. And I was successful. And I, I was good alcoholism. at it. It's, a, it's actually a real thing. I think a lot of people think that alcoholism is one of those things where you're you know, lying in the street or you're yeah. you know, jobless or all these things. But a lot of people are functional alcoholics. And there's a lot of people that are functional drug addicts. And, yeah. and you wouldn't know because they can carry on their life. Absolutely. And that's exactly what the it doesn't situation make it less was of for a, me. It doesn't make it less of a problem, obviously. It's just a, it's a matter of how long you can go on living that way. And, and the drugs I was doing, they were only recreational when I visited certain friends in yeah. Miami and New York. Alcohol was your thing. You weren't yeah. like a cokehead or any of those. I, I, wa- I mean, I enjoyed all of these things recreationally, yeah. and I enjoyed them far more <laughs> before I became a professional. But I thought that I was leading the straight and narrow life, really just drinking a bottle of red wine and six um, bottles of beer every night. Oh my God. How much did you have to pee in the middle of the night? I didn't, I don't recall ever having to get up in the middle of the night. You're a different person (laughs) than I am. I could drink a soda too and have to get up six times a night. All right. So you're in the hospital. You just found out you're not getting the IV drip, which I don't even, is there an IV drip for the state like drugs? Don't they just give you a shot? I don't think they even give you stabilizing drugs unless you're like, you know, you're violent, really maybe, yeah. violent and crazy and, and, you know, just, you know, out of your mind. <laughs> and I don't know what that would be. Maybe it's just a sleeping pill. I don't know, but they do not give you an IV drip. The nurse looked at me like I was insane. Did you call your friend afterwards and tell him like you jerk? Oh, I didn't call him. He called me, but this was days later. Okay. So now you're in there. You have your journal. They're telling you to go to an AA meeting. You realize, fuck, this I is did. not what I wanted. So then what happens? So that night I plotted, you know, checking myself out. I was going to do outpatient after all. Yeah. <laughs> they were right. And then when the nurse came in the next morning, 
I, I told her, I said, listen, I, I think that I want to check myself out. I think, you know, this is a bad idea. And she goes, oh, no, honey, you can't check out now. You've been processed. You have to stay in for at least three days. And I am just mortified. I have lost everything. I've lost my alcohol, my cigarettes, my everything. It seems like now I am stuck with a journal and a room with no sound, nothing. I... I am in my, I've made my own hell. Were you still processing the breakup at this point or is that not even at the forefront? Yes, I was still processing the breakup. And the only, the only consolation I had at this point was to talk to a psychiatrist to at least get some emotional comfort that I'm the one who was in the right and that he's the crazy one. That's another thing I wanted to find out. So uh, she said, but, you know, this morning you can, you can get some drugs. You have to get in line and we'll give you some drugs there. And I'm thinking, oh, wait, I might have an opportunity to get something, something that will take the edge off. And I get in line and I'm standing behind these people just like you would see in the movies. And they're all just kind of shuffling forward uh, to get their little cup of medicine. And I hear one person... Do they watch you take it? Yeah. Oh, my God. And I hear one person getting a script for um, electroshock therapy. And I'm thinking, that sounds pretty good at this point. And then another person, she got a ton of medication, and I'm really getting excited. Now I really think maybe this is where I'm getting that stabilizing drug, whatever it might be. And they give me one blue pill, and they say it's an antidepressant, and I should take it, but its full effect doesn't take doesn't take effect for three weeks. <laughs> and I have to take it every day for three weeks to really feel its effect. And I'm thinking, oh my God, now I have to do art therapy. I have to sit in, in these uh, group therapy classes. I have to do all of this stuff with these people. And I don't have nothing to take the edge off. Next thing I know, I'm in the, um, the, the, the common area where everyone's just sitting around watching TV and I walk past this catatonic guy. He's sitting still. And I pop myself on the couch, and I watch General Hospital, and there's a woman sitting next to me. And she said, hi, what are you here for? And I looked at her, and I said, I'm just so sad. I broke up with my boyfriend. <laughs> and then she held me and, you know, just rocked me. And I, I, lie, I laid in her lap as she was stroking my hair. Oh, you poor, poor thing. And I said, so what are you here for? And she said, oh, I'm a schizophrenic. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that I'm here because I am sad because I broke up with a boyfriend. And here I have people who have real issues. And you're lying on her and she's petting your hair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then um, I sit up and I, I How I just, old were you at this point? I think I might have been 36. Okay. And I sit up. And I just can't stand it anymore. I need a cigarette at this point because I'm also a chain smoker. And I asked her, I said, can we smoke cigarettes here? Is that allowed? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she It's points, the 90s. She points across the room. And I look across the room and there is a hot box. There is a glass or plastic enclosed box filled with people and nothing but swirling smoke. And I look over there and I said, oh no. Oh, I gagged. I thought, no way. There's no way I can do this. 
another 10 minutes passes and I can't take it anymore. And I walk over there. Wait, are you not allowed to go outside? Um, you can go outside, but only in prescribed during prescribed times. Okay. You need a prescription for us. I, I got it. And so I knock on the door and someone opens it up and I walk in and there's just a chorus of, hello, hello, hi, you're the new girl, aren't you? And I said, the yes, new girl. yes, yes, I'm the new girl. Um, you know, I told them my name was Petra. And I, I asked, can I bum a cigarette from someone? And someone hands me a cigarette and then gives me their, their at the end of their cigarette to light mine, because that's how you continue to light your cigarettes. You're not allowed to use, you're not allowed to use a, um, a lighter. Mm-hmm. If you need to start the chain going in the morning, um, somebody lights your cigarette, you know, one of the staffers do. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So that's very interesting. So nobody's allowed to have matches or a lighter. So the staff lights one person's cigarette in the morning, and then that one cigarette is like the beacon for all the cigarettes for the rest of the day. Well, that wasn't necessarily the intention, but that's how it ended up being. It's because like the Olympic torch of cigarette smoking. <laughs> yes. Cool. Yes. So there, I, I just sat there and I started telling them my story, telling them, you know, how sad I was. I was, I'd broken up with my boyfriend. And then all of the other people started telling me what they were in for. And they were in for, I mean, I, I was in for being a codependent. They were in for being, you know, trying to have committed suicide and schizophrenia and a lot of real, real major diseases. And I'm thinking, what an asshole I am at this point in time. And then they're, they're kind of telling me some of their woes, and I was counseling them. And before I knew it, I think an hour had passed. I'd smoked eight cigarettes, and they all wanted me to be their psychiatrist because their own psychiatrist they couldn't stand, but they loved me, and they loved my advice, and they wanted to be my friend. And before I knew it, I'm not kidding you, I was the most popular girl in the psych ward. What did that look like? It, well, everybody wanted to sit next to me during the meal time. And then one day, I think the very next day, one of the girls, the the first woman who met me, who was, who said she was schizophrenic, she said, Petra, one of our roommates is checking out and we want you to be our third roommate in our, in our room. Nah. And I'm thinking... (laughs) Oh my God, no. And then someone overheard it. No, we want her to be our roommate. And then there was this and in your cacophony head, like, of like, I, I, I can't believe. I like get out of here. I cannot believe these people are fighting over me. It actually felt kind of good. I'm sure. It's so nice to be wanted. I didn't want to do it. But then that night I found myself lying in my bunk with two other women in the room reading my book, Codependent No More. Wait, so you actually did move in with some of them? I did. Oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, I did. I liked it, actually. (laughs) I liked it. And then the phone rings, and somebody runs down the hall and says, Petra, Petra, you have a call. Scott's on the phone. I was like, Scott, hold on, I'm taking this call. Is that your friend? (laughs) Yes, the stabilizing drug guy. I run to the phone, and... Scott says, Petra, how are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. I said, Scott, I just need to tell you something here. You know, they don't give you stabilizing drugs when you check yourself into a psych ward. And he said, oh, so my bad. Sorry about that. Do you think he wanted you to go? 
no, I think he actually thought that you got stabilizing drugs. <laughs> and I said, but I checked myself in on that premise. And he said, well, Petra, you know, you can check yourself out too. And you know what? Enough time had passed. I could have done it. And I said, I know. But in my mind, I was thinking, but I don't want to hurt anyone else's feelings here. I'm going to stay a few more days. I just opted to stay a few more days because I just felt so loved and so wanted and so needed. Do you talk to any of those people that you met there? No. No. The relationships all ended once I left. So the day you checked yourself out, what made you decide, I think it's time for me to leave? It just felt like it. The hot box situation, all of that. I just needed my freedom again. Gotcha. And I think I got enough. I, I got enough from my psychiatrist who, who was on staff to realize that I was codependent and that, and that probably was my number one issue. They did not address the drugs and the alcohol at the time. So when I left, I continued drinking. For how much longer? 96 to about eight more years. Oh, wow. Or seven more years, something like that. So what did you take away mostly from that experience? Like, what have you learned from that short period of time? That, that a lot of very interesting things happen, but it's a short, a short period of time. What takeaways from that experience did you incorporate into your daily life? Maybe you didn't at the time, but maybe you do now. Well, when I look back on it now, I appreciate that human beings need each other. And no matter what mental state you're in, you need love. You need to be hugged. You need to be caressed. You need to be heard. You need people and we all need each other. And that is the therapy you get in a psych ward. Most that that's the biggest therapy you get. You get each other. And that's amazing. Do you think most of the relationships that form in psychiatric hospitals are sort of short term that they realize it's not maybe not healthy for the relationship to proceed outside of the facility? I have no idea. <laughs> You're like, I have my own experience. That's it. I have no idea. Some people, I think they might want to continue uh, pursuing that relationship. So then the question is, so if you drank for another eight years, so what was it that finally made you go, enough is enough, I can't do this anymore? I started getting hung over before I got drunk, if that makes sense. I drank so much. Okay. I was so tired of hiding my alcohol. I was so tired of feeling guilty when I, I brought my trash to the, the, the trash area in the apartment complex I lived in. All you could hear was clinking of, of bottles. And I just felt so guilty and I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to stop. I just didn't know how to stop. And one of my last um, real big hurrahs was in Miami, and I was doing drugs and drinking, and the, the place closed down at 4.30, and I was like, I'm not ready to go. I am not ready to go. And the bouncer had to carry me out. Oh, God. I just needed to stop. I just knew it in my heart and soul. And I... One day, I told myself, this is it. I was watching a lot of daytime TV because I was unemployed at this point. I did not make the connection between drinking and losing my job. And I don't think there was a direct connection. There was a very indirect connection because they thought that they didn't need me anymore in the capacity I was serving them at that organization. 
Um, at any rate, I, I, I was watching Dr. Phil and watching all of these shows, and I was opening up my bottle of red wine at about 1045, and I said, that's it. I have to quit. And tomorrow, I will not drink anymore. And then from 1045 a.m. until 12, uh, 11.45 p.m. that night, I drank nonstop. Oh, nonstop. And I went out with a girlfriend, and we just kept getting drunk. And, and at 11.45, I quit. And I said, and I lit a cigarette, and I smoked it, and I said, that is my last drink. And it was. And that was seven, 15 years ago? No, uh, December 3rd, 2005. So I don't know, maybe that's 16 years now. Do you celebrate that date? I do. What do you do? I just acknowledge it. I'm just really happy that, it, you know, I, I don't do anything special, really. Now, people, there are people who still go to AA meetings, you know, 30 years in, and, and uh, the community will help you celebrate if you want, and they'll give you cake, because cake or any kind of sweets takes the place of alcohol. Because it processed, it processes the same way in your body, really. Interesting. Alcohol, sugar. So I didn't realize I had a sweet tooth until I I started going to AA. And <laughs> there were some cookies and stuff, right? Yes, that's why they had the cookies and the cakes. Yeah, and ice cream. So I've been to a few NA meetings. I dated somebody back in my early college days that had a addiction problem. Uh, his was heroin and, and cocaine, which was like, I probably shouldn't have dated him, but I was young and he was hot. You know how those things go. So I went to meetings with him from time to time. And I was always like, man, they have good snacks here. But it was also the stories of, of people and, you know, the struggle and the triumph. It's, it's, very powerful to watch if you don't, if you're not coming from that place, but also the cookies and stuff were cool too. I brought some, I brought cookies too. I wasn't just, well, so that led eating. to my next addiction, sugar. Oh, the so, hardest one to break. That is the hardest one. And I am very heavily addicted to sugar. Yeah. Same. When I start eating cake or anything that's sweet, I don't stop. It's like that mound of cocaine in front of me. I don't stop until it's gone. Yeah, frosting is eat, my thing. I will eat an entire cake sitting in my car in the parking lot of Whole Foods before I even leave the parking lot. Do you use your hands? Yes. <laughs> oh, Petra. <laughs> I am You know awful. what? You, you quit so many things. If that's if eating cake with your hands in the parking lot of a Whole Foods, you work out a lot, you look amazing, you know, you're healthy. Let's call that a win. Eat yeah. that cake. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, I'm not going to hurt anyone. No, no, you're not hurting anybody, but man, it's the mental image of your, you just going straight in for a cake with your hands. Lay sigh. So are there any parting words for people that have similar struggles, whether it be with, you know, alcohol, um, substance abuse, or even just the emotional trauma of going through a breakup or a divorce or you know, something along those lines? What advice can you give them for how they can get through that and move on to the next step? The only way I got through giving up alcohol and the way I, I get through almost any of the heartaches I have, people, connection to people, that is what you need. I mean, when they say love is all you need, that really is true. Connect, find, do not isolate yourself. Do not isolate. Find help, seek help, and seek a community. Seek a village of people who are willing to be there for you. That's what you need. That's it. 
I love it. And you found that you were the most popular person in the as, psych ward, in the psych ward for several days. But speaking about that, you were in there essentially for a breakup. Did you meet, uh, you know, the person to sort of get yourself out of this abusive relationship cycle and that could, you know, make your life better? Yes, I did. I actually knew the answer to this, but I had to, you know, and, and it turns out it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a whole other interesting story. Just real quick. Tell the viewers, listeners, how you met your wife. I met her, um, I decided to move out of my very expensive apartment and uh, rent a room. And we, I met her living in North Potomac in one of these huge 6,000 square feet homes. And we had the entire top floor. And uh, we, we bonded over our cats. You both had cats? Yes. She had three and I had one. Did they all get along? No. <laughs> when cats are adults and you bring them together, very likely they won't get along. Yeah. So and heard. all four of them ended up dying because, Aww. you know, they were either too old or just, you know, they, they got my, my cat pumpkin had heart disease. And um, then we both decided, you know, we, we started going traveling together. We started doing everything together. And uh, we bought a home, and then a year ago, we got married. I love that. That's a great story, and so everything has worked out. Yeah, I realized that, you know, I, I'm not good with men. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not good with men. Yeah. It's better to marry your best friend. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, that's, that's true. I think my husband's sort of my best friend. He also has a penis, which is, I guess, nice, because that's what, you know, I like. But I'm kind of glad that you found found love and you know what everything that you went through led you up until this point so every story you know got you to who you are today and there's something very special about that but I do love that you were the most popular person at the psychiatric ward all right thank my you, claim Pat. to fame yeah my claim to fame I'm sure you have a lot of other interesting claims to fame I'd love to hear how many times you've been pulled out of a club but we don't have to get into all of that right now Thank you so much, Petra. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed this, check us out every week. We'll be talking to real people with real cool stories. Again, my name is Jenna Levine Liu. I am the founder of Six Cool Moms, the national social network for fun moms. And I will be your host through this journey, your Virgil, if you will. Hope you all have a great day. And if you're interested, check us out on Instagram at Six Cool Moms. Bye.